welcome to another special edition of the ACG Analytics Podcast. This is David Metzner, Managing Partner. We are continuing our podcast series from home during the coronavirus pandemic. As a result of the following is a lightly edited version of a policy call we have already held. We will now proceed with the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We have with us on the call our normal ACGA panel. We've got John East, our Director of Research, John Turek, providing a little bit more market color to some of our policy analysis. With that, we've got just days now until the inauguration of President-elect Biden here in Washington. The city itself is shutting down. It's crazy to see the number of National Guard and all the street closures. John, we've got a lot to talk about, primarily the Biden administration thinking about stimulus, pandemic relief, I should say, and infrastructure in the first year or so. If you talk to any of the Biden advisors, those are the two issues that they really push with this green energy idea overarching everything. At the same time, the House voted yesterday to impeach President Trump again, and Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, at least for a couple more days, kept open the opportunity that he may, in fact, actually support these proceedings. Is the impeachment side of this just noise right now, John, as we move forward for the next five or six days? Or are there actually any possibility of post-Trump case there? The impeachment proceedings are a real issue for an incoming Biden administration. Speaker of the House has not said when she will transmit the articles of impeachment to the Senate. Under the Constitution, doing so immediately moves one day after the transmission, the Senate to a trial position, and no other legislative business can be conducted except by unanimous consent, which probably wouldn't happen. That means that if the Speaker were to transmit the articles of impeachment today, a trial could begin on Biden's inauguration day that would stall installing a cabinet. If it's at some other time, because the speaker has discretion as to when she will transmit those articles, if ever, then all Senate business stops whenever that happens. And that could happen in the middle of consideration of any other of President Biden's legislative priorities. The incoming Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, has asked if there could be some type of unanimous consent agreement that would divide the legislative day into two halves, one to conduct the impeachment trial and the other to do legislative business. That uh, cannot happen if there was a single objection, and I would anticipate there would be one. The last Senate impeachment trial took three weeks. This one might not take as long, but it would take some amount of time, and it could interrupt whatever else was going on. So then this is a, not just a political decision, but also something that's going to shape the policy agenda for at least the beginning stages of the Biden administration. Now, we've got a press conference tonight, or at least an unveiling, scheduled for around 7, 7.15. President-elect Biden is expected to release the broad contours of both his pandemic relief package, as well as anything related to the infrastructure package. you think this morning's worse than expected jobs numbers have any impact on the total dollar amount that, you know, Biden is going to push? Or is it purely going to be, you know, what is feasible under the current congressional makeup with the 50-50 Senate and Republicans who are probably going to revert more towards their hawkish deficit concerned posture? You know, poor job numbers are always a factor. You can sway some votes, you know, on the Republican side, depending on how bad the economy is, as to how large a relief package that people will support. It may be that it adds impetus to some sector relief elements. Chuck Schumer and others, it's bipartisan, 
have been pushing for relief targeted to restaurants and the hospitality industry. And given the position of the jobs numbers vis-a-vis that sector of the economy, I think that adds impetus for including something like that in a pandemic relief package. Now, the vehicle for getting this done. So let's say he does come out. He says, you know, we want $2.3 trillion for this initial package. How is he going to get this done? Does President-elect Biden have the relationships and the goodwill from his many years in the Senate to go to Mitch McConnell, who will be leading the minority in the Senate, you know, bring the caucus around to, you know, at least get 10 of them for some sort of large pandemic relief bill? Or is there, you know, the possibility that they're going to have to revert to the reconciliation process early on? I very much doubt that you can get $2.3 trillion if that's all on the pandemic relief side, as opposed to splitting it into two halves. I doubt you can get Republicans to support that, but I think that part of what Schumer is trying to do is flush out where Republicans are regarding their new commitment to deficit reduction. Moving forward, once we get past this phase where they're laying out the broad platform, they say, okay, we want $900 billion or, or $1 trillion in this pandemic relief package. And that includes everything from plussing up the check to 2000 to state and local funding, which could be, you know, an area of contention between Democrats and Republicans. So they try to get that done first. Now, that bill, on that size, you know, less than a trillion dollars, do you think that you can get Republicans to 60 votes in the first three or four months of the Biden presidency? I do. And the issue previously was not that there weren't vote on the Republican side. It was that it really split the caucus basically 50-50. And McConnell did not want to put any bills on the floor that would expose divisions within the Republican caucus heading into the November election and then the Georgia election. You want a unified front. and so, But there have always been votes to support something more than what passed. Can the same be said for infrastructure? Let's say we do get a 60-vote bill on pandemic relief. It's around $1 trillion. That's done in the first three to four months. Does that, you know, decrease the likelihood that Republicans are willing to spend big on infrastructure and increase the probability that Democrats have to move to the reconciliation process? The more you spend on one bill, the greater the cold feet are going to be on future spending. So you want to be somewhat judicious. And we have some ideas of what might be in the infrastructure proposal writ broadly. It's not just roads and bridges. But historically, you can get not just 60 votes. You can get 80 votes in the Senate on infrastructure because every member can point to something in his or her district and say, you know, vote for me again. See what I built. Like, you know, Mrs. Smith, your road got paved because of me. Historically, you can do that. The question is, if you put so many green energy proposals in that really would probably benefit more liberal areas than conservative areas, you're going to start atrophying votes. And at that point, there may be a desire to move to reconciliation. Reconciliation is not as easy as many liberal activists or new lawmakers believe it is. They think that they can get more liberal priorities because they don't need Senate Republicans, but then they subject everything to one vote in the Senate as it currently is composed. That's a problem 
We saw during reconciliation when Congress considered Obamacare that Senator Kennedy of Massachusetts died. And at first, people thought, okay, well, that's okay. He's from Massachusetts. But then we got Scott Brown. And the only reason we're dealing with this 50-50 Senate right now is because Senator Isaacson of Georgia retired early because he was ill. Any one senator could drop dead of coronavirus or be absent for a vote. Uh, We saw what happened when the Republicans tried this with Obamacare repeal. That was a reconciliation bill. And at the end, it came down to Senator McCain, and no one knew whether he was going to vote up or down until the very last second. So if you base everything off of one vote, you have to stand ready for the possibility of everything to collapse. But that would mean that the bill would probably be less green and smaller in nature than what a reconciliation bill would look like. It might not be smaller depending on financing, but it probably would be less green. And one of the reasons for that is the green stuff costs more so you can spread the money around less. And the key to getting more votes is to spread the money out so that lawmakers have something in their district they can point to. Do you think that serving as the basis of this infrastructure, we're we're outside of the pandemic talk now, would be the FASIO's Moving Forward Act, which was passed by the House. It was around around $1.5 but some of those provisions were added on previous pandemic relief packages. I mean, does that serve potentially as a basis? So, yes, the DeFazio bill was H.R. 2. It was given a low bill number to signal to the Democratic caucus that this was a priority of Democratic leadership and something that all Democrats should unify behind. It was really a stand-in for the Green New Deal, less radical than some other lawmakers might have proposed, but something that could unify the caucus, it passed. And the problem is that of the remaining, I don't have a number here, but of the remaining trillion or so left over, probably two-thirds of it can't really be done by reconciliation, which is why the incoming Senate Budget Committee Chairman, Bernie Sanders, has already talked about overruling the Senate parliamentarian, which requires 50 votes plus one. The Senate parliamentarian is almost never overruled, and it sets a bad precedent because it could change what reconciliation is and allow basically regular appropriations to go through under reconciliation. So one of the issues is when you come to infrastructure, things that are financed in part by user fees or other revenues don't affect the federal budget directly. And one of the things that requires 60 votes to overcome, even under reconciliation, is any provision which is only incidental to the federal budget. No one knows what is only incidental to the federal budget except the Senate parliamentarian using the precedents that have existed. But the precedents which exist suggest to me that a lot of what is remaining in the DeFazio bill, you can't actually do via reconciliation. And if people remember, Obamacare was actually not one bill. It was two bills because Democrats could not shoehorn a lot of what they wanted in the reconciliation bill. And that was because that one senator died, they couldn't get to 60. So they quickly passed the parts they couldn't do under reconciliation right before Senator Kennedy passed away. Is there a way to estimate how much money in a reconciliation package can be clawed back as offset from, you know, repealing provisions of, let's say, the 2017 tax code or or indexing, you know, the gas tax or inflation to offset the spending components within the same bill? 
one proposal that people have floated over the years is to say whatever five cents meant in 1992, but whatever that meant in 1992, we would just use that for inflation. Another would be to say, you know, what was the price of gasoline and, and come up with some other mechanism. Some other states have done that for their state gas taxes. So I, without a proposal, it's difficult to score. But if you took the money and I think right now, what is it, $30 billion a year that the gas tax brings in? Yeah, it is. And you multiply that over 10 years, that's $300 billion. But if you then index it to some level, that's, so it's not an insignificant source yeah. of revenue. There are other things that you could do by levying different fees, uh, you know, shipping companies and whatnot, where you could probably bring in more money. And some of those costs would get passed on, presumably, to consumers. But, you know, they would be averaged over all goods shipped, so it would be negligible per item. Yeah. Now, you, you can. Republicans could vote for it. You just don't have very many because many have taken an anti-tax pledge. But there is a way of working within that pledge, too, probably. You just have to, you know, be creative in messaging. But, again, some of that wouldn't be necessary if it's under reconciliation because then you just get to – you just get to 50. Okay, we've just gone through a lot of the process and, you know, our expectation, but I, I want to just circle back to what is our baseline expectation, John, on the timeline for pandemic relief and the timeline for infrastructure? The impeachment question could throw off the timeline, but I would say within about a month of Biden taking office as president, you could probably get a bill through the chamber. You know, Mitch McConnell's not going to wait, but there's still, you still have to draft it. You probably have to have some committee hearings. There are going to be intra-party discussions, even on the Democratic side. You, we've been focusing on one vote in the Senate, but quite frankly, the House has very little room for error as well. Now, given that it's pandemic relief and it's you know the first bill out of the door and people generally want to give a new president a legislative victory and show some goodwill and it is bipartisan, I think you could move it very quickly. If you then move to infrastructure shortly thereafter, depending on what you're trying to do and whether you try to get buy-in early on the Republican side, I think that could move quickly as well, especially if there are still problems in the job market. You you think basically what I just heard is that we could get a pandemic relief package passed around that $1 trillion mark in the first couple of months of the Biden presidency, and then they move on to infrastructure, and it is an open question still whether or not they go for the 60 votes. You think it makes sense to try. You know, they ultimately could fall back to reconciliation, and that would be Q3, Q4-ish by the time that package is done. I think so. I think that reconciliation actually could take longer because in order to even begin the reconciliation process, the House and Senate both have to adopt a budget agreement. That's something that the House was not able to do this last Congress. There are, quite frankly, some sharp divisions within the Democratic conference as to what the, a budget resolution should even look like. Then after you agree on a top line number, under reconciliation, you have to then divvy up that number to committees of jurisdiction if you're asking multiple committees to come up with both savings and spending under those totals. And then you have to move those proposals. It could actually be a longer, messier process. John Turek, I want to bring you in. Based on what you just heard, right, our expectations of when pandemic relief happens and when infrastructure happens, but also possibility, the risk that the process itself takes longer than expected. You know, you think the market's positioned for that possibility, or you think the market is generally expecting there to be X amount of stimulus in the economy by December 2021? 
I'm, I'm more in that camp. I think what's kind of setting up, and is what you and, and John East kind of eloquently put it, they're setting up this sort of path versus destination setup in terms of fiscal. And I think that at least in the short term, given where things like break-even, cyclically sensitive assets, reflationary-related assets have traded recently, I think the, if the path to destination part is not like straight and linear, then there could be some hiccup, you know, kind of given where we are in terms of pricing. Now, as we've seen kind of over the last year, the market does have a destination lens. And I think that, you know, we all think that, you know, this stuff ends up getting done in some form and the market will effectively discount that. But I do think in terms of consensus and in terms of where the market is priced, there is a large component to potential for a hiccup upsetting some of these, you know, more popular inflationary related trades. So these are obviously the big questions that, you know, we're considering and DC is a buzz about, right? These two packages. But outside of that and obviously impactful broader macro 2021 theme are higher energy prices or at least the possibility for them. I want to go back to John East real quick from the policy perspective. Are you expecting anything out of the Biden administration on aggressive policies limiting fossil fuel production in the United States in 2021? Or is that a later issue or really a non-issue because Joe Biden's from Pennsylvania and therefore won't stand fracking? Well, aggressive might depend whether you're from the American Petroleum Institute or Food and Water Watch. But yes, and that's another reason that that counsels me against trying to put so much green energy stuff in any one bill is that you have multiple opportunities to go back to the American people if you're the Biden administration, if you are Democratic lawmakers, and run on a green record. And so some of this could be what we saw in the last spending bill in December, where Congress renewed a number of renewable energy tax credits. They have some support among some Republicans. Wind energy is big in Texas. Chuck Grassley of Iowa really likes ethanol. And, you know, so that there is buy-in on the Republican side for some green features. We have a higher education reauthorization act. You could put in some LED standards for new school construction, whatnot, in any number of different bills. And on the regulatory side, we're going to have EPA, which is going to try to roll back a lot of different Trump administration rules, and also at the Department of the Interior. The incoming Biden administration has done something very interesting, which is to try to coordinate green goals throughout all aspects of the federal government, and including agencies that you don't really think of as, as having anything to do with, quote-unquote, green anything. And there are executive orders that Biden could propose saying all new purchases by the federal government of vehicles need to be, you know, I don't know, Priuses or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, Congress's role in this with the Congressional Review Act, the CRA, looking back through some of the Trump administration policies, not just the EPA, that, you know, they can rescind or revoke easy targets for them. Some of them are within that, you know, the jurisdictional period of the CRA. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, John East, John Turek. Thanks for joining us and everybody listening. If you have any questions on any of these issues, want to discuss in greater depth, please reach out to uh, Meili Wong at research at acg-analytics.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter where we opine on a variety of these topics as well. With that, I hope you all have a great week.